Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Almond Undercover Podcast on 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. Happy Sunday to everybody that is listening either on our Facebook live stream or on the podcast feed. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We, uh, like I'm sure many of you, are still trying to wrap our brains around what we saw yesterday. Obviously, Auburn gets an SEC opening win over Missouri, but it was in a pretty improbable fashion. Um, I'm sure everybody... Has watched the end of the game, but of course, yeah, it's a missed field goal right down the middle. Basically, an extra point that Missouri had set up as uh, as time winded down in regulation. They missed that one to the right. One of the best kickers in the SEC, the first team All SEC SEC kicker from last year, um, just shanks it. First miss inside of uh, 30 yards in his entire career, and then Missouri has a clear path touchdown down the sideline, and uh, the running back Nathaniel Piet, uh drops it at the goal line. And it falls into the end zone before he crosses the plane. And obviously, Auburn picks it up and wins the game. And so, uh, joined here by Jason Caldwell. And Jason, uh, we were talking about it after the game. Just another example of some, just the absurdities that we're used to seeing inside Jordan Hare. But as you pointed out, Auburn not only got away with, uh, you know, they not only got those two big breaks where, you know, many people have referenced it, but they quite literally, the most literal embodiment I've ever seen of getting handed the game, the running back just dropped the ball in the end zone. Um, but there was more than that. There was a third, <laughs> there was a third time that they were, uh, that they were gifted an opportunity to, to win this game. And, um, overall, I mean, man, that, that, that is just one of the craziest endings to a game, um, I've ever seen, but you know, what it does is at the end of the day, it gets Auburn an SEC opening win. And as we're recording right now on Sunday afternoon, it has Brian Harson still in the, in the driver's seat of this program for another, for another week, at least. Yeah, no, it, you know, I, when I think back to that game, I, there's not many games where I remember a a team going, look, I don't know that a team did any – or I'll take this back. Very little to win the game, but the other team just going, hey, well, we're just going to lose it for you. And that's what it felt like Saturday. Um, Auburn's defense did some good things um, and kept Auburn absolutely in the football game because without them, um, Auburn does not have a chance to win that game. So the defense you know, kept them in an opportunity, but – you know, they also allowed Missouri to drive right down the field within the regulation and and have an opportunity to win the game. They also allowed the running back to basically run to the end zone uh, in overtime, only to drop the ball. Uh, and you know, Auburn's, hey, Auburn's defense kept hustling, and and they were there to be able to recover it and do some things. But um, no, it was 
you know, you have a missed field goal at the end of regulation, which is the equivalent of an extra point. Um, you have Auburn, you have Missouri jumping offside to give Auburn another field goal. The play before that, you have an interception that literally went through a guy's fingers. Now, it would have been a, a really good interception, but you'd have that play. And then you have them dropping the ball. Missouri makes one of four plays in the, in the last five minutes of that football game. And the outcome's different, um, but they didn't. And that's why they're not a very good football team or a very good football program, to be quite honest is because they did when you don't do those things, it shows up. Auburn kept hanging on, and to their credit, uh, they did enough to, to, to kind of find a way to win that game. Um, now can they find a way to, to take a bunch of steps moving forward? Because to be quite honest, when you leave that game and now 24 hours later, I can't see wins on this schedule left if, if that's what the product's going to be on the field. Um, you know, defensively, they can compete playing like that, but you also played the absolute worst offensive team you're going to play the rest of the season yesterday. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, everybody you play on the schedule is going to be better offensively than Missouri, including West Kentucky. He's going to be a lot better than they were. Um, so you got to be better on defense. I mean, they're good. But yesterday in the second half felt like, well, both teams were afraid to make the mistake. Let's don't do anything big. Let's just keep punting the ball and see what happens. And you know, both teams literally almost – you know, handed again the game over on failed punt returns. And, you know, looking back into the sun, uh, both were fortunate. You know, Auburn, they called a, a you know, kick interference or, or legal touching, but Missouri dropped a couple of them. They were able to get back. And so, um, no, it was, you know, it was, a, it was one for, I won't say it was one for the record books, but it was one that, that we'll remember for quite a while. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it, it has to start offensively. I, I just don't know what the answers are. And Robbie Ashford, he did some things, you know, throwing the football yesterday and did some things. But but you can tell what the, the recipe is going to be from for folks moving forward, starting with LSU next week. They're going to dare you to, to throw the ball down the field and, and, and use the passing game. And, um, you know, that's going to be the next step. If Robbie Ashford's a quarterback, we'll see how quickly T.J. Finley can get back because um, you know, he, I think he's he's needed desperately for this team in the passing game moving forward. Yeah, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons, it will be seared into our brains um, for quite some time. Mainly that second half offense from both teams. Uh, I've never seen twelve straight punts in a game before, let alone in a half. Um, so it's a pretty pretty ugly looking drive chart on both t- on both sides. You had uh, eight combined three and outs for these teams in the second half, and it, you made a great point, Jason. Um, they were scared to make the wrong move. And so both teams were playing pretty conservatively on Auburn's end. That looked like, of course, running the ball, which we knew heading into this game. And we, we were going to be shocked if they attempted, um, you know, that many passes. And it ended up being 21 throws, which which I mean, was a little bit more necessary just because of some of the struggles they had on the ground. But still wasn't. I mean, it was, they still obviously there was a huge focus on the running game, um, but to no avail. I mean, they they did a lot of good things on those first couple drives. Um, I imagine their first offensive possession of the game. I imagine that was a nice script for them. They they stuck to very well. Um, you saw a lot of outside kind of pitch action for Tank Bigsby. Um, Robbie Ashford obviously was the one who got into the end zone, and then the defense got the first turnover of the year. You had a what a twenty four yard field to be able to just march right in. Um, they got in in five plays after that first quarter. Um, just completely inept offense. They go scoreless for the rest of regulation. 
And Jason, the biggest problem, I mean, you mentioned it. They're going to dare, they're going to, teams are going to dare them to throw the ball. Um, They'll dare them to run it. They'll dare them to run the ball, too. I mean, it just absolutely it, an atrocious performance for them in turn. And, and, and it all, not all starts with run blocking, but most of it was was what was done in blocking. I, I noticed in particular um, the first carry for Tank Bigsby coming out of halftime. Great crease, hit it as hard as he could, got hit as soon as he was in the hole, and then started churning his legs like like there was no tomorrow. Comes down after you know big physical play, two yards, and that that, that was the story of it all day long. They were they were trying their darndest to just get two yards. Um, I don't know if you, you saw this. Uh, Justin Ferguson tweeted this out today. Jason, but um, I did the most unbelievable stat I've ever seen. <laughs> the Tank Bigsby had 44 rushing yards against Missouri, um, but according to Pro Football Focused, he had 62 yards after contact in this game. Meaning, more often than not, which is not surprising if you watch the game, he was he had to break through contact in the backfield just to get back to the line of scrimmage. It was an uphill battle just to get back to the line of scrimmage. More yards after contact than than total rushing yards is just an insane statistic. And I, I obviously Tate Johnson's injury might have might have played a part in it, but I, I just I don't know. I look back and this is not an offense that can do much of anything right now. And we talked about it all offseason. Their identity was to run the football and be physical. And Missouri, like you said, this is not the best Missouri. Missouri is one of the worst offenses you're going to see all season. It's not necessarily the strongest defensive line you're going to see for the rest of the year. Certainly not LSU of next week. It's certainly not Georgia. And they had these kind of problems against uh, against this Missouri D line. I just it doesn't bode well for what their identity wants to be on offense moving forward. No, and, and you know we asked you know Brian Harson about you know that last week, and he said, well, you know you, you do what the defense dictates, those kind of things. Well, if that's the case, then the defense dictated yesterday that that you needed to throw the ball, especially on first down, a lot more than you did, and, and they didn't do it. So um, either their identity is to run the football no matter what, which is what we were told. Or they didn't didn't come out of the script situation with a very good plan moving forward, which is hey, we've seen that in the past. That was Gus Malzahn. I mean, you, you have success early, and then once both teams adjust and fill each other out, then what do you do? Uh, that's when it becomes a coordinator play calling scheming thing. And you know, we saw Auburn go back under center a bunch. Well, once Missouri figured that out the first couple of times. Then as soon as Robbie Ashford booted out of there, then there was a guy waiting on him every time, and they had an idea of what was coming. And so um, that's it. Now, now, can you find a way to put your guys in the best position? This is it. This is your roster. You know what they are. Now, can you adjust and and you you know, play with your roster? Not necessarily to make your roster play with what you want to do. That's that's the key to coaching is is adjusting. How do they adjust moving forward to give these guys an opportunity and if your offensive line is struggling like that, it's got to be quick passing game, um, getting the ball out of your hands, using some screens, uh, using wide receiver screens, using the middle of the field with the tight ends, all the things they did early in the season last year. That's what they have to do. And I haven't seen much of that. And, and here's the other one. So, you know, it, there's got to be some opportune times where you decide, look, we're going to leave a couple extra guys in there. And it may be a three-step drop, but if, if they're, playing this tight outside, we're going to take some shots down the field with Robbie Ashford because that's what he does the best. We saw it in game one, the deep ball he threw, and you go, man, that looks good. Um, we haven't seen another one of those shots from him that, that I am that I can remember anyway. Everything's been – so, I mean, you're going to have to take some chances. I mean, there's no question because being conservative offensively, um, 
if you if you can't here's the thing being conservative is great if you can run the football but when you can't when it can't happen and it doesn't work then um you can beat missouri that way barely but that's that's not going to be good enough down the road for this team yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he says on Monday about the possibility of of a guy like TJ Finley coming back in. I don't certainly. Uh, well, the, he still hasn't confirmed an, an injury yet, so that's true. That's true. Probably, probably there probably won't be much on that front if you're uh, if you're banking on that. But obviously, it, it was like we discussed all week. Um, I mean, he did, yeah, TJ did not have a helmet with him yesterday um, yep. during warmups, and he was dancing around doing some stuff, mm-hmm. and so. My guess is is that he'll get a look this week, and with it being LSU, I would think TJ would be very, very interested and in see if he can get back on the field and play this week if possible. Yeah, we saw Zach Calzada in warmups lightly. It just it wasn't a full it wasn't full stuff for him. Um, and he did have a helmet on more so than than TJ. Did. But he, TJ. he was he was the fourth guy getting reps behind yeah. Trey Lindsey. Yeah, so and it so, looked like an emergency only almost situation yeah. in that regard. Yeah, and so it was like we it was like we talked about. This was the quarterback depth chart. Ashford was first, and of course we got our first look at at Holden Garner um, in a in a tight spot in a, in a bad spot to throw a, a a true freshman quarterback in. Luckily for him, and luckily for Auburn, it was only two drives. Um, Robbie Ashford just kind of a stinger. That's what he said after the game, and um, the way he came out of the medical tent, he was already throwing the ball. He was running around. I, mean, I think they just wanted to make sure everything was good with him, but. Going, but yeah, when you're talking about quarterback play, I mean, he and he made a few good plays in this game. He had the touchdown run, had a couple good runs, um, made a few throws. I thought, you know, obviously they missed that field goal before halftime. That's probably a, something they should have converted. You know, 45 yard field goal with a with a senior. He brought he brought them down the field in that instance. Um, developed a nice nice little rapport relative to what he had with his other with Coy Moore. A couple connections here and there. And they didn't turn the ball over. So, I, you know, none of this, I don't think you can circle, and he's a first-time starter. I don't think you no. can circle much of this back to to Robbie Ashford at the same time, like you were saying. It's just saying that Finley could maybe raise the ceiling and raise what this offense can do slightly. It's just because of what we know he is as a passer. It's not necessarily anything Ashford did wrong. And if Finley can come back, Ashford will certainly still be part of the game plan for, for next week and, and moving forward, I would imagine. Yeah, you no, know, you're right. I think th- to, for this offense to to be able to compete against the teams left on the schedule, you've got to get you know the wide receivers involved and got to have a downfield passing game. And you know, guy we talked about, Jorius Johnson's probably the the best playmaker wide receiver on this team. One target and 35 plays, I think. Right, 35 yeah. mm-hmm. snaps yesterday. Had one one target. Did not, but the ball. I don't know the ball ever got close enough to him to consider it. A, you know, a catchable ball yesterday. So that's. That's it. That's that's where you start talking about, um, you know, how how involved are you when you when you look at this team and go, okay, Coy Moore needs to be involved. He's a guy that can make plays, but you got to get Javaris Johnson some touches and targets, a, a lot of them. And again, you know, you know, I know everybody has a lot to say about Landon King, um, but he's a guy that that you need to get involved in some form or fashion in the passing game every once in a while um, because he is a different guy than than the other guys you have. And again. No action for him other than I don't know how many plays he played. My guess would be twelve to fifteen. I don't know exactly how many it was, but um, and so yeah, offensively, um, it comes back to the offensive line. I, I thought they played pretty well early on, and when Tate Johnson went out, things tanked in a hurry. And in Missouri, some of that could be energy. Some I think some of that is Missouri going, okay, now we got an idea of what's coming. Um, we can adjust to this moving forward, 
and we're going to adjust to it by saying, look, we're not going to let you run the football. Auburn had it's, – it's crazy to say in, in the last three quarters in overtime, Auburn had 13 yards rushing. 13 yards rushing averaged about a half a yard a carry. In the second half in overtime, Auburn averaged 0.3 yards per carry and had five yards in the last 30 minutes of that game and in overtime. Five yards rushing against Missouri. Um, that does not bode well um, when you start talking about where you're going to go find some offense for this team. And um, and so that's that's the starting point. Um, defense created negative plays, created a couple turnovers, um, got got the benefit of a, a turnover there late, but hey, Derek Hall was all over the place. They made some plays. They got pressure. That was, that was a good step in the right direction for this defense. They're going to need a lot more of that this week against LSU and Jaden Daniels, who – and is completing about 80% of his passes right now and doing a pretty good job of, of moving that LSU offense, even without Kayshawn Booty last week. Um, you know, it, it stepped, even though LSU is not Jordan, Alabama, things step up uh, several notches on Saturday for this team. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, even if you so you, you know, um, even if you go sack adjusted, and even if you keep the entire game, if you don't take away the first quarter, and you go sack adjusted, which is adding thirty-five rushing yards to the total, taking away four sack, it's still less than three yards per carry for the entire game. Uh, that's including those two successful drives, two point nine yards per carry for the game. So even if you're trying to give them every, um, you know, letting them round every corner and, and cut and cut the corners as you're looking at these statistics, it was still just and and, and it's not for lack of trying. They were trying to run the ball. Um, and just nothing was working. You, you talked about the defense. I thought that their biggest adjustment, because I think a lot of people were worried when Auburn went three and out right out of halftime. I think people were seeing shades of Penn State and just thinking, I mean, you looked at what Missouri did right before halftime. Their offense was clicking. Eli Drinkwitz was calling a wonderful game um, there in the in the second quarter, getting his guys moving um, side to side. I thought that's how he was trying to beat Auburn, get his tight ends, his running backs just going in space and, and uh, you know, let them turn up field and try to get them to break one tackle. So I think a lot of people just thought, okay, Missouri, this is going to be Missouri's game now that they've been able to score. So credit to Auburn's defense for being able to adjust. Um, they were great down the street. I mean, five three and outs for uh, for Missouri in the second half was massive for them. You talked about Derek Hall's turnover. He had three tackles for loss and a couple sacks. I thought maybe the biggest play of the game for the defense other than that interception was he had a uh, – it, it might have been a six-yard tackle for loss. It was five or six at the beginning of one of Missouri's last drives. Um, they had decent field position. He kind of set them way behind the chains. They ended up having to punt on maybe a possession where they could have gotten down the field a little more. I say all that to say that um, 
the offensive adjustments at halftime are still it just it has left so much to be desired. Um, and I looked at it today. This is their last six second halves against Power Five opponents. So this is what they've done in the third and fourth quarters in their last six games against Power Five teams. Zero points, six points, because remember they scored that touchdown against uh, Penn State, but they didn't get two point conversion. Zero point six points, three points, three points, six points, zero points. The last time they scored more than six points after halftime against a Power Five team was when they beat Arkansas on the road last October. And so now it it spans Harson's teams. It spans last year where you had, um, I think, a much more competent offense overall with a third year starting quarterback. And I just think as much as offensive line at the moment, this is this is um, their inability to look anything different after halftime or seeming like they they really can't adjust to what you, you talked about Missouri Missouri did do a good job adjusting after the first couple drives Auburn couldn't adjust back for the rest of the game they were they were scoreless for three quarters against a team like Missouri it's just it's on it's baffling honestly yeah and and you know a lot of that is um field position that became a field position game in the second half and when you have two offenses that are struggling um and you know if you're not creating a turnover then you create a field position game in the second half Missouri's drive started on 26, 11, 15. They have one at their own 40, 32, 13, and 30. Auburn's drive started 25, 6, 34, 15, 20, 24, and then 42 right there, you know, toward the end of the game. Um, that's it. You start going, and, and the, the the interception by Derek Hall in the 24-yard short field was what this team has to have. That, that's that's what this team has to have to 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 make some of those plays to win games and and let's face it if they don't get that Saturday they don't beat Missouri um, you know you know the game's always different and you never know how it how it changes but but you look at that going look that's the single maybe the single most important play of that game until those plays at the end that directly impacted it but you start talking about twenty four yard field get a touchdown there to go up fourteen nothing. If if you're kind of battling, if this game turns into that game earlier, um, then one of you know one of those mistakes is magnified if you make them down the stretch. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't know that there is an answer for this team, to be quite honest, other than trying to get the ball to your best players as many times as possible, see what happens. Because um, it, I don't think you're you're going to snap your fingers and magically uh, this this offense is going to turn into you know one that's going to score 40, 50 points. Yeah, you mentioned Landon King earlier, uh, four snaps in the game, but at the same time, they didn't get into the red zone super, super often. I remember on the first drive, they did put him in once they got into the red zone. They didn't look his way. Um, yeah, he's only on the field, only on the field four times, like we mentioned. Javarius Johnson had 35 snaps, was only was only targeted once. Coy Moore was good. Um, just, I mean, this is the best we've seen him look in an Auburn uniform just to – just a few game, few games in, maybe he can be that third guy. Uh, Shed Jackson was decently quiet, but I mean, he's, he's just kind of doing what he always does and, and being consistent for them. But you know, maybe you can find that third guy with Shed and Var, and maybe get a guy like Coymore in there to be a more consistent playmaker, especially if they get T.J. Finley back. But it all just starts on the offensive line for them, not offense. Um, the pass when we talk a lot about run blocking, pass protection wasn't much better um than than the run blocking was it was still just kind of a kind of thrown together i i, I mean i'm not a coach but I, I was at least slightly surprised they didn't make any changes 
um, along the offensive line in terms of a starting lineup. Now we did see Brendan Coffey come in at left tackle. We saw some ro- we, well, yeah we saw some rotation through there. We yeah. saw Alec Jackson at right okay. guard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we saw some some different faces throughout the way on the offensive line. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I don't know that you know people are kind of wanting you know one of the young guys and um, hey these guys have been watching this offensive line since the spring. They're playing the guys they feel like give them the best chance to win. Um, and there's not a lot of the op- not a lot of options for young guys behind them. I mean. Jeremiah Wright's only been playing offensive line for a few months. Um, I think a guy that has some some chances down the road. Colby Smith, you know, is a young guy at offensive tackle. I think they feel like has a chance in the future, but you know, we haven't seen him in the top, really the top four of those guys at tackle moving forward. And there are just not many options. And so, you know, they're rotating older guys with older guys. Um, and and that's you know, trying to find the right combination if they can find the right combination. Seven and a half is what it opened at today for LSU next weekend. Um, obviously, LSU is the favorite. Um, 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Auburn's trying to win three straight in this series for the first time since Terry Bowden took over um, in the early 90s. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about that they've, that they've done this. Obviously, they had the demolition of, of LSU back in the largest margin of victory ever for Auburn in this series back in 2020. We're talking about Derek Hall and TJ Finley a lot on this podcast. Derek Hall was not very nice to TJ Finley nope. um, that day. Nehemiah Pritchett had a had a near pick six on it. It's a bad day for for him. He's come a long way as a quarterback because I remember that game. He just refused to leave the pocket, it just, regardless how much pressure. Now he's obviously a lot more mobile. So maybe we'll see that when he gets back from injury. Like Jason said, this will be a this will be a big game for him. And then last year they broke their Baton Rouge curse. Of course, thanks in. Large part, thanks in probably massive part to what Bo Nix did um, in that game. And then they get LSU back here at home. Uh, it'll probably be a crazy game, Jason, because the hurricane will be also making its way. It, 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 it's it's some it, rain. And- well, it, it's interesting just to see how this thing shapes up um, in the next few days as to what the, the forecast looks like. Right now, Friday is, I think, 65 for a high and about 80% chance of rain. Yeah, okay. we're in the 40 to 50% chance of rain on Saturday. Um, it could change depending on the, the direction and course uh, of the hurricane. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it all bears watching uh, to see how it impacts this game. And, um, you know, LSU, obviously they want to throw it a bunch, um, yep. you know, 20 mile an hour winds and rain probably wouldn't be the worst thing for Auburn come Saturday yep. night, if that's the case, but it all depends on how much you know, rain you've already had and, 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 you know, how, uh, the conditions are travel for you know a team like LSU could be involved. So, uh, yeah, you know, obviously it could be some wait and see this week. Yeah, we haven't had a weather watch for a game, other than like lightning delays. But in terms of like a big time effect for the game uh, like this in in a while. So hopefully everybody, if you're affected by it at all, um, stay safe and stay vigilant. On top of that, this week this isn't the first time LSU's been affected by something like this. We'll see if it even comes to that. But they had the game. They're playing. No, wasn't Florida? Was it South Carolina? That they yeah, moved they, the game. They've had a they've had a Florida too, um, Florida where movement, they yeah. they flipped one 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 time and and played at home instead of going on the road. I think, and then they've mm-hmm. had one delayed. Um, yeah, I don't know that we're, that we're at that point yet, but sure. uh, you know, obviously you have to, can make some adjustments here depending on what it looks like in a few days. Yeah, so Missouri is kind of a light SEC opener for Auburn, or at least so we thought. Um, now you get into the portion of the schedule where you're about to play LSU and Georgia and Ole Miss, which has the number one rushing offense in the SEC. It looks pretty, uh, 
looks pretty decent. Although that, I don't know how much of a defense they have. Tulsa kind of, but Tulsa has the number one passing offense. I don't know. We'll find out. But um, all that is to say, it's a it's a tough stretch of games coming up for Auburn in terms of the talent they'll be facing. Obviously, Georgia is foremost um, among that group, but they'll do their best to uh, to get out of things, get out of this home stretch. We're almost at the end of it. It's kind of crazy to think about. We're one third through the regular season already. That's kind of depressing. But um, we're about to be out of this five game home stretch. And look, at the end of the day, you know, we said they needed to come out of this thing four and one. So got a shot. They can. Got a shot. I mean, absolutely can. Well, I mean, we, we've seen this LSU team. I mean, they look they look better. Yeah, but they're still not world beaters. This is still a new staff that's going to have its its share of issues. Um, you're at home. I think. Hey, I mean, I'll say this before we get done. Kudos to Auburn's crowd Saturday. Oh yeah, that would have been the, a, a perfect opportunity for. And, and and some people did stay home. It wasn't eighty seven thousand. Sure, it was a good crowd. And I'm gonna tell you what, they were in the game a while longer, but they and they up. made an impact in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. 11 a.m. Yeah. tie game against Missouri. Heck, you could have had everybody leaving for the exits, and a lot of those people stayed and they cheered. Credit to them. Um, that was that was a, a I thought as impressive a fan showing, considering what had happened the week before, as I can remember in quite a while. Yep, they'll be there Saturday night and they'll be ready. And consider, oh, absolutely, this will be a this. The way things are going for Auburn right now, it just you you combine all the elements. The more factors you put in to an Auburn LSU matchup, just the more thro- you know stuff you throw in the in the Super Bowl. There, it's it's just going to get even weirder. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely, ab- absolutely, that's something I was thinking about on Saturday. You you referenced that in the San Jose State game that that might have had an impact Correct. on some of those plays in that game. It's, it, it probably did on Saturday too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, credit to crowd at the beginning of the season here. Yep, I agree. I, I thought they did a good job and showed up and. They'll be there again Saturday night. It should be a lot of fun. And uh, now, get, you know, always interesting week. Um, you know, first time Auburn facing Brian Kelly. So that'll be new. You know, we'll have new thoughts, new new, yeah. new stance from LSU and, and you know, Brian Kelly and uh, you know, a bunch of new faces on that team and, and Jade Daniels. So a lot to, to look at in terms of previews heading into this LSU game. Yeah, for sure. Always a good one. Never disappoints. Uh, certainly never dull between Auburn. And LSU. So, of course, Auburn gets the win over Missouri, seventeen to fourteen, in overtime with a couple, uh, couple crazy, couple crazy finishes there at the end. A finish to regulation and a finish to the game that both obviously went in Auburn's favor. For Jason Caldwell, I'm Nathan King from Auburn Undercover and the Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. If you guys enjoyed this episode of the Auburn Undercover podcast, please go leave us a five star review or recommend it to a friend. We would love if you would do both those things. We will have another episode on Tuesday morning because we are going to talk with Brian Harson tomorrow about LSU, probably a little more about Missouri, talk about injuries, personnel, all that kind of stuff. Whatever we are able to glean from him on Monday, we will discuss it in your feed on Tuesday morning. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the start of the week, and we will talk to you all soon.
CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island, they got here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, Monday starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.